right. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Um, please remain standing a moment. just want to lead us in a prayer. God, I thank you so much for the truth in that song. And I just pray for everyone here in our understanding, our acceptance, our trust, that you are our anchor and that you can be trusted and we can stand on you and no matter what we face, that we can be secure. As we talk about worry today, I pray that your words would sink deep, deep, deep into our hearts. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. So you go ahead and have a seat. That'd be wonderful. And I just want to begin with just a word about today. Today is our church's 24th birthday. So and I thought that's pretty cool. Especially to see all the baptisms that we were able to experience today. That's awesome to be able to do that. And so when you sing that song there about Jesus being our anchor, it comes from a verse in Hebrews. I just want to read to us. And this is kind of my, my thought about today and our 24th anniversary as we're leaping out to the next year. It says this, Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge... We who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. We can trust, we can trust him. Anchor our souls onto this. Anchor our lives onto this. Anchor our church onto this. We can have the hope that we can face every storm that comes. We can have the hope that no matter what it looks like outside of these four walls today, that God is in charge and that we can trust him and we can walk with him. And that's our declaration, that we can walk and trust him. So I'm so excited to be able to do that, to celebrate our anniversary. If you didn't read my email blast, I encourage you to read it, go back, maybe get it out of your trash pile. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And just take a minute, if you've actually, you know, accidentally spammed me uh, or put me in unsubscribe, you might want to deal with that somewhere. I think it's called sin, and so you'd want to, you know, <laughs> repent of that in some way. <laughs> I just really, uh, every week I write something just about our church and life, and this week I just reflected on some friends who came last week and their experience here and just how grateful I am for you that our friends had that experience last week and then what God's doing with us as a church. Now, we started this series last week called Enough, and uh, I told you I had pneumonia last week. And so if you were here last Sunday, I've told people again and again that last Sunday you actually got to see a miracle. You got to see a miracle. If you only knew how sick I was last Sunday, and people thought I was well and healthy, well, that's because God worked in a miraculous way, not just in a strengthening way, but a miraculous way last week. And so you got to see it. And uh, nothing about me, all about him. And so I just want you to know that. So this series called Enough, and I don't know if it's about you, but it's mind-boggling to me that know that I can ever get to the place where I can say, it's enough. It's enough. See, on one hand, I really want to get to that place where I can say it's enough. But on the other hand... <laughs> There's this constant voice that continues to, and I was going to say whisper, but I'm going to say scream at me, 
constant screaming at me, just telling me, if you had this item, if you had this experience, if you knew these people, if you had this job, if you could take this trip, if you could get this degree, if you had all of this, then you'd be contented. That's the voice screaming in my head. Do you have the same voice telling you those things? Yet what I continue to learn (coughs) is that what I thought would bring me contentment doesn't. Doesn't. It's fleeting. What I find is, is that I still long for more. The more I get, the more I attain, the more I actually want. And that's why I know that we need the words that we're going to be looking at. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, grab your message notes out of your program. They look like this. You'll be able to follow along, and you're going to want to write down some thoughts today. These will be helpful. And then your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 4. That's where we're at for this series. Uh, Line by line through Philippians 4 for this series. And I just want to say, if you don't own a Bible, our church would love to give you one. So when you leave today, right outside the doors, there's a bookshelf. And if you'll just grab a Bible, it's our gift to you. So what we're doing in Philippians 4 is we're looking to our mentor, our model, the Apostle Paul. And so he talks about the idea of being able to attain contentment. Now, we talked last week, I shared with you that just in context, that Paul went through some very difficult times as the chief leader of the expansion of the message of Jesus Christ in his day. Finally, after all these tough times, and you can read 2 Corinthians 11 if you want to know how bad it actually was, he was put into prison, and from prison he wrote a a series of letters to the churches that he had helped establish or in one case had actually heard about to encourage them. Now, the book of Philippians, as we call it, was a letter written to the church at Philippi. Uh, And Paul was extremely instrumental in the starting of this church with Lydia, And it's a church where Paul's heart was deeply rooted and connected. It's a church that supported Paul in his missionary endeavors. And now it's supporting him financially that he's in prison to make sure that he has all of his needs met. That's kind of how they did it in prison back then. Other people paid for you to get fed and to be cared for in some way. So he was extremely grateful. And this letter is his letter of gratitude uh, to them as well as encouragement and also some instruction. And so at the end of the letter, in chapter 4, verse 10, he writes what is our (coughs) theme verse for the series, and he says this, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And that's what he says in all that he's been through. And so I would say that he would be our model and our mentor on how to be content in life. So we're looking at this chapter line by line, Last week, we considered the first five verses. We talked about that we would choose joy over happiness, not over sadness, joy over happiness, because joy is what God desires us to experience and know. And today, we're going to just look at two verses, six and seven. We're going to talk about how you and I can choose serenity over worry or anxiety. Now, would you agree that we live in a time that seems full of anxiety and fear? Just kind of agree, we, and that's maybe some of the reason. One of the reasons you're even here today is because you're feeling that in such a strong way. Do you worry about what's going on in our world and what's going to happen? You know, you hear about ISIS, Boko Haram, radical Islamism, uh, global warming, uh, the economy, and what's the economy going to do next? New diseases, the expansion of old diseases, and no seeming cures for them. 
and we hear about you know refugees and how do we handle refugees and then immigrants and what do we do with immigrants and then now we've got a whole issue of the Supreme Court what's going to happen to the Supreme Court and then we have the presidential election <laughs> oh my oh my and uh, and then and part of the president and please do not think I'm inferring anything by this <clears throat> as part of the president uh, presidential election we have the Donald. Okay, you have Trump. And um, I read an article yesterday, this is fascinating, is that psychologists are actually noting a trend that when people come to them to talk about their anxiety and worry, they're talking about the Donald. That somehow, just, you know, just the fact that he might become president is creating this tremendous angst in certain people, okay, that that might happen. We live in a time of high anxiety, So how do we live without worry in a time of high anxiety? So I'm just going to begin by setting it up, okay? I'm going to define worry and anxiety. I'm going to talk about what serenity would be and look like, and then we're going to talk about how we can increase our serenity in life. So let's define anxiety. Worry is to have a divided mind, to have a divided mind that results from a lack of intimacy with God. Anxiety and worry are defined as having, you know, the word worry in Greek actually means to have a divided mind, meaning I can't, I'm torn between two, you know, being secure and not secure, so I'm living with this divided mind between right and wrong, and it results from having a lack of intimacy with God or trust in God. Trust in God is developed through intimacy with Him. So if I'm worried, what I need to realize is, is that it's an indication of my intimacy with God is in some way awry, or I need to work on that part of my relationship with him. <clears throat> now, worry is one of those crippling activities that human beings can engage in. Worry does nothing to solve problems. It actually makes things worse. And we even know that people die early because they've lived with worry and anxiety their entire lives. See, here's the deal. Worry can't change the past. <clears throat> worry can't control the future. Worry can only mess up the present. Okay? Some of you know that and you realize that. And so it's utterly useless. How many of you have spent time worrying about something that actually never happened? That's a lot of us. That's a lot of us. One husband was complaining to his wife about how much she worried and to which she responded. Worry works. 90% of the things I worry about never happen. (laughs) See, some people may believe that to be true, but it's not. Worry actually hurts us. Now, probably one of the most damaging aspects of worry in our lives is that worry can rob me of the moment. Rob me of living in this moment. My worry about the future keeps me enjoying the moment I'm in because I'm so anxious about what might happen. Now, last week we talked about joy, and we cannot experience joy if we are having allowing worry to rob us of the present. So worry, here's what worry does. It causes me to obsess about myself and my needs. That's what it does. It keeps me from fully being able to connect or even be present with others. It keeps me from taking risks. It keeps me locked in and from stepping out into adventures that I really want to go on. It keeps me from doing what God really designed me to do. 
So that's worry. So now let's talk about the opposite, serenity. Well, serenity or peace of mind can be defined by the word shalom. Can be defined by the word shalom. Okay, which means, which can mean the sense of well-being that nothing is broken and nothing is missing. Now, I talked about this on Christmas Eve, and because I really couldn't dig into it, I thought, well, this is a great time to dig into it, is today, is that nothing is missing and nothing is broken. So the word shalom, it actually comes from words that mean complete or not lacking in anything. And so the idea is that if I'm living in a shalom mentality, serenity, is that even though things are broken, even though things are missing, I can live as if nothing is broken and nothing is missing because I trust God that what has come to me has been filtered through his loving fingers. And so I can live with serenity and a belief that even though things may appear broken, even though there are things that appear missing, I trust God <coughs> that he will take care of me and I have all that I need. It results from trusting God's promises and relying on his power that's available to us through Jesus. Serenity results from trusting in God's promises and I'll say, like the word relying there, relying on his power that's available to us through Jesus. So shalom is a state of mind. It's a serenity that I live in because I've choose, chosen to trust God's promises and I'm relying on his power that's available to me through Jesus, through my relationship with him. Folks, that is the answer to our worry problem is getting to the place where I can say I trust in his promises and I'm relying on his power and I'm connected to God through my relationship with Jesus Christ to be relationship with him. Okay, so that's kind of a way just to, of introduction. And so what I wanted to begin was just some honest observation. I'd like you to think about the major categories of your life, your health, your job, your physical appearance or well-being, your relationships, your finances, the world in which you live. Okay, think about that. And I'd like to ask one question, thinking about your world. How many of you have at least one problem? Raise your hand. Okay, so I think that's probably all of us, that we'd all say we at least have one problem. So this message is for all of us. So now I'd like you to tell somebody else. So turn to the person next to you and tell them your one problem. Okay, what would be your one problem? If you trust them. Now, <clears throat> explain to that person why your problem is bigger than theirs. <laughs> uh, you don't have to do that. Okay, with that in mind, that is our setup today. I'm going to give us four ideas from two verses on how you and I can increase the serenity in our lives. So I just want to read the verses first. Um, they're not on the screens, not on your notes. I just want you to listen. If you want to close your eyes, just kind of so you can just hear. This is God speaking to you through the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him 
for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So let's just take this apart now. Let's let God speak to us. Let the Holy Spirit guide us. First thing is this. Paul says, worry about nothing. Worry about nothing. He says, don't worry about anything. Now, this is not the only place in the Bible that we're told not to worry. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says something similar. I put one of the ways he said it in verse 34 during your notes. Jesus says, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Right there. Today's trouble is enough for today. Now, what I didn't include here is that three times in Matthew 6, three different times, Jesus says, don't worry. Three different times he says to us, don't worry. Now, you got to know that when Jesus was on the face of our earth teaching that very rarely did Jesus say, you must do this or don't do this. So when he does it, we better pay attention. We better pay attention. So I'm just going to take this a little bit deeper here. I'm going to dig a little bit here. If Jesus says, don't do this, that means that whenever we do what Jesus says not to do, it's called sin. Ouch! Oh, I thought it was just worry. I thought worry was good. I thought it was helpful. Oh, my word, I didn't know. It's called sin. I don't want you to freak out, but I do want you to freak out. <laughs> because I really want you to hear what Jesus is saying. <coughs> according to Jesus and according to the Bible, to worry is sin. To worry is sin. See, of all the sins that Christians, those who claim to be Christians, those who claim to follow Jesus, of all the sins that Christians tout to our world and talk about our world, worry most often goes unmentioned because we all do it. Because we all do it. Worry is a sin. Now, you just got to know, I want to be really, really gentle because I know that some of you uh, suffer from acute anxiety and that anxiety is a huge deal for you. And, and I'm not saying that because you suffer from acute anxiety that you're sinning. So I'm not saying that. Just no. Just no, I'm not saying that. I'm talking about the kind of obsessing worry that each one of us can all fall prey to. Uh, I'm not talking about anxiety disorder here. Not at all. I'm talking about the kind of worry that we can all fall prey to. See, it's not something that... Most, you know, I'm not talking about something that you can't, you know, flip a switch to solve, which would be an anxiety disorder. And that's why after Paul says what not to do, he's very clear about what to do. So the next thing to do would be this. If I'm going to increase my serenity, I must pray about everything. So here's the solution. I must pray about everything. Verse 6b, he says, instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. The best way to worry about nothing is to pray about everything. 
So if you're, you know, you hear me say don't worry and you're going, I'm not going to worry. 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 Well, guess what you're going to do? You're going to worry about worrying. <laughs> what he's saying here is that the way we fight worry is to pray about everything, to pray about everything. The apostle Peter, he writes it this way. He says, cast, throw all your anxiety upon God because he cares about you so much. So what Paul is saying, what Peter is saying is that when you feel worry, when you feel anxiety, feel it want to attach itself to you, kind of like a worry wart, to attach itself to you, is that when that happens, <coughs> throw it off. Just throw it off. When a worry tries to attach itself to you, fling it off as quickly as you can. Throw it at his feet by talking to him about the thing that you're worried about. The best way to worry about nothing is to pray about everything. That's the best way. Now, the key is to be able to pray as Paul guides. And he's saying, pray. So he's not saying, hey, guess what? You're worrying? Pray to God will take away your worry. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, hey, you're worried? Pray to God about what you're worried about. Give it to him. Fling it off to him. Take your mind off your feelings of worry and pray about what you're worried about. Do you know that worrying is like praying in reverse? Worrying is like praying in adverse, reverse. When you worry, your problems generally appear bigger. When you pray, your problems generally appear smaller. And so he's saying, instead of worrying and making your problems bigger and bigger and bigger, pray so that you see your problems in perspective. We used to sing a song that went like this. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry. Everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And he's saying, pray about everything. Now, there's nothing too big. There's nothing too small for you to pray about. Just want you to know that. So our, our job is to pray about everything. And the third thing is this. He says, if I'm going to increase my serenity, I must give thanks in all things. I must give thanks in all things. So here's the deal. And actually, for me personally, this is the hardest one for me. Because, you know, when I'm worried and I'm stewing in my worry, um, I'll, I'll just be honest, okay? Sitting at the dinner table, and uh, we're having dinner, and so I'm stewing in something, worrying about something, and, and maybe I've even prayed about it. Uh, and then my lovely wife, Holy Spirit Junior, uh, <laughs> sits down, and, uh, and she's like, Okay, here we are. And no matter what she's feeling, this is the way she is. And, and she says, what are we grateful for today? And so I'm like, oh, oh, oh. nothing. <laughs> but what she's doing is she's transitioning the thinking from worry to gratitude. And when I can transition my thinking from worry to gratitude, I'm on the pathway to serenity. Because what gratitude is, is it's me stopping and I'm thinking, okay, I can be grateful for this. And usually what it means is well, I can go back and look at what God has done, what God has done, what God has done, what God, 
oh my gosh, look at what all God's done. And then it boosts me. It moves me out of the place of worry to where now I'm moving towards serenity. Simply because I'm trusting God who did it to do it again. To be with me. To be for me. I give God thanks for what he's done. I give God thanks for what he's doing. And then if you're really bold, you give God thanks for what he's going to do. For what he's going to do. So we give him thanks. So we pray about everything. So just look at this. Worry is a catalyst, okay? Don't look at it as an enemy. Worry is a catalyst. So when worry comes, use it as a catalyst. Use it as a trigger to pray and to give thanks. To pray and to give thanks. Make that what you do when you're tempted to worry. Okay, number four. If I'm going to increase my serenity, (coughs) I must let go of the outcomes. I must let go of the outcomes. This is like graduate level stuff, okay? This is where I'm at right now, just learning how to do this better in my life currently. Now, I'm not saying some of you are going, you know, I know you. I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, okay, if you say let go of the outcomes, Ron, you're saying that I should be lazy. Or you're thinking that other people will be because you never would be. And then, (laughs) right? Or you're thinking that you're now giving people you know, letting them off, and so they don't have to be responsible. But that's not, it's not what we're saying at all. So I'm saying that when we respond as God is called or led or designed, and then when we've done all that is possible, all that is possible that we can do, that when we've done our part, that we must We must step back in faith and trust God that he is going to work all things together for the good of those who love him. We must do that. We must allow him to work the outcomes. And when we continue to try to work the outcomes, we're the worry one, we're the controlling one, and we have to let go. Let go. And until we do, we will not know serenity and the people around us won't know serenity either until we let go of the outcomes. And you do that. I'm just going to tell you, you have to do it over and over and over and over and over, day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. Let go of the outcomes to him. This is what he says in verse 7. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace or his shalom or his serenity (coughs) will descend on you. It will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Listen, Listen again. His peace or his shalom or serenity will descend on you. It will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Would you like this? Yes. Would you like for this to be your reality? See, you can have serenity, you can have peace of heart and mind, even though your circumstances have not changed. Going back to the message about last week, you can have joy, even though your circumstances do not change. But here's a promise that we have here that's even stronger is that his peace now will cover me like a shield. His peace will cover my heart, 
they're separate, and my mind, like a shield <coughs> against anxiety and worry ruling over my life. Okay, so we've been talking in this, you know, all this year. I just love the conversations that I've been able to engage in with people about everyday life on mission and living that. Uh, well, folks, whenever we, those who claim to know Jesus Christ, and by the way, I would just say there are a lot of people on TV right now who claim to know Jesus Christ who need this message, who need this message. Whenever we get to the place where we get to live with the kind of peace of mind and heart that Paul describes, even in the middle of chaos, even in the middle of difficulty, I can guarantee you that we will shine out like a light wherever we go, everyday life on mission. Some of you probably heard about Joey Feek. She died this weekend. Joey and Rory Feek. Let's just show a picture here. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about this uh, as a way that we can apply this to the way we live everyday life on mission. Um, Joey is the wife. Joey died this weekend of cervical cancer at the age of 40. She got cervical cancer about three months after delivering, delivering her um, daughter. And then she's lived with it. She went through treatments and then responded, and then it came back with a vengeance. And so when it came back with a vengeance, she was told that she would not live. And so as she was you know, living this with her husband, Rory, um, that they are followers of Jesus, and they lived their cancer experience online through a blog. And then as she died this weekend, uh, they posted some incredible things. And I just want to read to you some of the posts uh, that were posted. This is something he wrote. Though this is and has been a time of many tears and sorrows, it has also been a time of countless, listen to this, tears of joy. This is what she wrote just November. I pray that one morning I just won't wake up. But I don't fear anything because I'm so close to God and we've talked about it so many times. I know he's close and I know he loves me. I am really at peace. And then on a day that she died, Rory wrote this. Yesterday, with tears in her eyes and mine, Joey held my, held, my, held my hand and told me that she has been having serious talks with Jesus. She said she told them, told him, that if he's ready to take her, she's ready to come home. And this is what he wrote on the day she died. She died surrounded by loved ones. My precious bride breathed her last and a moment later took her first breath on the other side. She's singing songs for our Savior. Um, in 2012, they recorded a song that's now gone viral uh, because of the words. And it was written about uh, a woman's loss of her mother. But when they recorded the song and did the video for it, they thought, well, even though this is written by that relationship, why don't you guys do it as if it's husband and wife? They're a little awkward about that, but they did it as husband and wife. 
And now, this is before she got cancer. The song is called When I'm Gone. And here are the lyrics. And even though you still, you love me still, you will know where you belong. Just give it time. We'll both be fine when I'm gone. And when you watch that, I, I just watched it last night, and I thought, this is not fair, uh, even to have to watch the song. And so I knew I couldn't even play it for you because it wouldn't be fair uh, to put you through the emotion of that. And at the same time, here's a couple who chose through difficulty and difficult circumstances to live with serenity. Live with serenity. To pray about what they could, that God would change what he would. To give thanks for what he's done. To give thanks for what God is going to do. And to trust him with the future. And then they became a shining light. A shining light for the world to see the power of Jesus. So folks, I just want to say that serenity begins with intimacy with God through Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about psychology today. This is a practical, trust-based message about faith in Jesus Christ. And what we're talking about today, none of these principles work. None of what we talked about with work, if you do them in your own power, you need a higher power. You need Jesus Christ. And I want to read to you now the serenity prayer that's on your notes. And actually, I'm going to ask you to read this with me out loud. This is something that was written by Reinhold Niebuhr in like 1931. It's been adapted. It's been changed a couple times. If you've been part of AA, Celebrate Recovery, this will be very familiar to you. So here we go. I'm going to ask you to read this with me, okay, out loud. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy for him forever in the next. Amen. It's a prayer for serenity and a prayer for peace. Bow your heads. <clears throat> Let's talk to him about ourselves. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to hear from you today about this very pertinent and real, and I would just say for some of us, debilitating subject. And so I just thank you that this isn't just, hey, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, all the things we can do, but instead it's about trust God, trust God and pray, trust God with your gratitude and trust God with your outcomes. It's a posture or a position, as that prayer we read just said, of surrender and submission to you. And I pray that you would help us more and more as your people, whether we're here today and we're 10 years old or we're 90 years old. Every one of us needs this. We all, all have a propensity to worry. So I pray today that you would help us. And then Jesus, if there's someone here who's never said yes to you, that's the source. You're the source. 
And so if you want to know Jesus, you can simply pray, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to experience you. I have sinned, and I ask you to make me clean. I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you came to earth as a human and died on a cross for me, that you were resurrected from the dead for me, and now I want to receive what you made possible through your life, death, and resurrection. And now, Jesus, I want to live with you as my center, be centered on you, so that what comes out of me comes out of the source, out of security, from knowing that I am standing on the rock. I am holding on to you, my anchor. You are my hope. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.